of the War of the Wells by H. G. Wells. Chapter 13. How I Fell In with the Correct. After getting this sudden lesson in the power of terrestrial weapons, the Martians retreated to original position under Hounsville Common in a haste that cumbered with the debris and their, sm- their smashed companion. No doubt overlooked many such a stray inedible victim as myself. Had they left their comrade and pushed on forthwith, there was nothing at that time between them and London. Batteries of twenty-four pounder guns. They would certainly have reached the capital in advance of the tidings of their approach, as the sudden, dreadful, and destructive their event would have been as the earthquake that destroyed Lips- Lip- Lisbon a century ago. But they were in no hurry. Senator followed Senator, an interplanetary flight. Every twenty-four hours brought them reinforcement. And we parliamentary and naval authorities, now fully alive to the tremendous power of their antagonists, worked with fierce energy. Every minute the fresh gun came into position till, for twilight, each, every corpse, every row of suburban villas on the hilly slopes from Kingston, Richmond, marked an expectant black muzzle, and through the charred and desolate area, at twenty muscular miles altogether, they circled the Martian encampment. The Huswell, Huswell Common, with charred and ruined village, among the green trees, through the blackened and smoking arcades, had been out by the day until ago. Pine scrawnies called the devoted scouts, telegraphs, had presently to warn the gunners of the Martian approach. The Martians now understood our command of artillery and the danger of human proximity. But a man ventured within a mile be the senator, say the price of his life. It would seem that these giants spent the earlier part of their afternoon in going to and fro, transferring everything from the second and first senators, the second and Anderstone, golf links, and the third at Perifold, to the original pit and Hemshaw Common, over that above the blackened heat ever, and ruined buildings that stretched far and wide, stood one as a sentinel. While the rest abandoned their vast fighting machines, sending into the pit, they were hard at work. There, far into the night, a towering pillar of dense green smoke that rose there from could be seen from the hills about Moreau, and even it said from Bestend and Epsom Downs. While the marshes behind me were thus preparing for the next sally, in front of me the humanity gathered for the battle, and made my way with infinite pains. A labour for the fire and smoke of burning Wakebridge towards London. I saw an abandoned boat, very small, remote, drifting downstream, and throwing off the most of my sudden clothes, when after it gained it, and so escaped out of that destruction. There were no oars in the boat, I could try to paddle, as well as my powerful hands would allow. Down the river towards Holyford and Walton, going very tenderly and continually, looking behind me, as you may well understand. I followed the river because I considered the water gave me my best chance of escape should these giants return. Hot water from the Martians overthrow drifted downstream with me, so that for the best part of a mile I could see little either bank. Once, however, I made a string of black figures hurrying across the meadows in the direction of Weybridge, Halliford. The scene was deserted. Several of the houses facing the river were on fire. It was strange to see the place quite tranquil, quite desolate, 
and the hot blue sky with smoke and little threads of flame going straight up into the heat of the afternoon. The ever thought had seen houses burning without accompaniment of the obstructive crowd. A little further on the dry reed, but the bank was smoking and glowing. And then the fire island were marching steadily across a field, late field of hay. For a long time I drifted so painful and weary, for I was after, was I after the violence being through and so intense the heat upon the water, that my fears got the better of me again. I was in my paddling, the sun scorched my bare back, as ours as the bridge of water was coming into sight round the bend, with fever and faintness to overcome my fears. I lay in the middle sick bank, lay down, spit deadly sick amid the long grass of hose of time, as then about four or five o'clock. Got up presently, walked perhaps half a mile, without meeting a soul, and lay down again in the shadow of the hedge. I seemed to remember talking, wandering to myself during that last burp. I was, almost, I was also very thirsty, and bitterly regretful I had drunk no more water. It's a curious thing that I felt angry with my wife. Can I account for it? By my impotent desire to reach Leverhead, worried me incessantly. I could not remember the arrival of the curate, so that that probably I dozed. I became aware of him, seated figure in smut smudged sleeve shirts, his upturned clean shaven face, down a faint flickering that danced over the sky. Sky that was called a mackerel sky, rows and rows of faint down plumes of cloud, just tinted with a summer sunset. I sat up at the rustle of my emotion. He looked at me quickly. Have you got any water? I said, I asked abruptly. He shook his head. You've been asking for water for the last hour, he said. For a moment, we were silent, taking stock of each other. Dare say he found me a strange enough fellow, figure, naked save for most water-soaked trousers. I sat scalded by my face and showed blackened by the smoke. He faces a fair weakness. His chin retreated, his hair lay in a crisp, almost flakened curls, his low forehead. His eyes were rather large, pale blue, and blankly staring. He spoke abruptly, looking vacantly away from me. What does it mean? he said. What do these things mean? I said him, and made no answer. He extended a thin white hand, spoke almost complaining tone. Why are these things, why are these things permitted? What sins have we done? Morning service is over. I walk you through the roads to clear my brain. The afternoon, then fire, earthquake, death. As if it were summon galora. All your work's undone, all the work. What are these marshes? What are we? I answered, clearing my throat. He grinned, he gripped his knees and turned to look at me. Again, for a minute, perhaps he stared silently. I walk you through the road to clear my brain, he said. A sunny fire, earthquake, death. He relaxed in silence. His chin now sunken, almost his knees. Presently he began washing his hands. All the work, all the Sunday schools. What have we done? What has Wainbridge done? Everything gone, everything destroyed. The church rebuilt it. Only a few years ago, gone, swept out of existence. Why? No pause, and he broke out again like a one demented. The smoke of burning, a burning goneth. Up forever and ever, he shouted. His eyes flamed, he put a lean finger, direction the Weybridge. But this time he was beginning to take his, his measure. Tremendous tragedy in which he had been involved is evident. 
He's a fugitive from Bainbridge. Had driven him had driven him to the very verge of his reason. Are we far from Sembury? I said in a man of fact way tone. What are we to do? he asked. Are these creatures everywhere? Has the earth been given over to them? Are we far from Sembury? Are they longing? Are you advocated at that early celebration? Things have changed, I said quietly. You must keep your head. There is still hope. Hope? Yes, plentiful hope. For all this destruction. I began to explain my view of our position. He listened first, but went on to interest, drawing his eyes, gave place to their former stare. The guard wondered from me. This must be the beginning of the end, he said. They interrupted me, the end. The great and terrible day of the Lord, where man shall call upon the mountains and the rocks, fall upon them and hide them, hide them from his face of him that sitteth upon the throne. Go to understand the position. I ceased my laboured reasoning. Dragged on my feet and standing over him, lay my hand on his shoulder. Dear man, said I, you are scared out of your wits. What well, good in religion if it collapses under calamity? Think of what, uh, what earthquakes and floods, wars and volcanoes have done before to men. Do you think God has emptied language? He is not an insurance agent. For the time he forgets sat in blank silence. But how can he escape? He asked suddenly. They are invulnerable. They are pitless. Neither the one nor perhaps the other answered. And miser they are, the more sane and weary should we be. One of them was killed yonder, not three hours ago. Killed? He said, staring at him. How can God's ministers be killed? I saw it happen. I proceeded to tell him. They changed to come in. They had a chance to come in from the thick of it. Said I, and that's all, that's all. What is this flicker? Is that flicker in the sky? He asked abruptly. I told him it was a heliograph signaling there was a sign of human help and of effort in the sky. We are in the midst of it, I said, quiet as it is. A flicker in the sky tells of the gathering storm yonder. I take it there are Martians and London and Londonwood, where those hills rise about the rich men of Kingston. The trees give cover, earthworks are being thrown up, and guns are being placed. Presently the Martians will be coming this way again. Even as I spoke, he sprang to his feet and stopped me, me by just a listen, he said. Beyond the low hills, across the water, came the dull resonance of distant guns and remote weird crying. Then everything was still, a cock treffer came droning over the hedge and passed us. High in the west, a crescent moon came faint and a hardly pale above the smoke of Wigbridge and Shepparton. And the hot, still splendour of the sunset. We are better, we are better following this path. I said, northward.